Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Well, it is a tale of dueling border visits today. Playing just outside of Texas as both the current president, Joe Biden, and the former president, Donald Trump, are making appearances speaking with officials, and, of course, they both will be holding press conferences. The question beyond the headlines of the day is, will there be any substantive progress or any kind of policy proposals put in place in the near future that can better handle all the chaos at the border? Political stunt, pathway to policy, let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Well, it is an election year, and uh, both the current and the former occupant of the White House uh, have some positioning and posturing to do when it comes to dealing with immigration and security at the southern border. Uh, Is all of it theatrics? Is all of it uh, just a political stunt and play uh, by both the current and the former president? Uh, It might be. Uh, I think there's a lot to argue and debate in terms of all of that, but let's uh, Take a listen. We'll give everybody their fair shot and shake at uh, making the case as to why they're at the border today. Uh, Let's start with some commentary by Utah Representative Blake Moore, who made a statement criticizing the current occupant of the White House for his visit to the border. Okay, so President Trump decides he's going to go down to the border. So two or three days later, President Biden decides to go down to the border. That is what the American people will take from this. And uh, it's disheartening to know that That is the case from what we've seen with the emphasis that our president has put on uh, this crisis. Um, Given the devastating crisis that has unfolded at our border and seeped into communities, this should not be the president's, it shouldn't be only his second visit to the border. He should have been all over this the last three years. So, again, the political posturing there to be sure, uh, the reality, the fact, uh, it is uh, just the second uh, stop down there for President Biden during the administration. So that's a legitimate criticism that I think can be levied there. Let's go to the White House press briefing yesterday and Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, who was asked what she would say to those who were saying, hey, this is a political move for one. Is it a political move for all? Here's what I would say. On the first day of this president administration, he put out a comprehensive immigration policy to deal with this issue. He did that on the first day. That was his first piece of legislation. I would hope the American people would see how serious this president was or is about about fixing this issue. Not only that, spent four months, four months, having a bipartisan conversation, doing negotiations to come up with a with a with a bill, and that's because of the president's direction of what he was able to do because he got involved and worked with Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. All right. So some of the components there from the press secretary. Uh, It is true that uh, bipartisan work was being done. It did get uh, scuttled primarily through the influence of the former president and the former occupant of the White House. So that's legitimate uh, in terms of that conversation. Uh, One uh, other person we want to weigh in, president of the Border Patrol Union, Brandon Judd, was critical of President Biden's visit today, particularly his choice to visit Brownsville, Texas, rather than many of those areas that had seen far greater numbers in terms of migrants crossing every day. 
And the reason why Border Patrol agents are so upset about this visit is because he's not going to any location where he's going to be able to evaluate what he needs to do. What are the policies? What are the programs that need to go into place? And he's not going to be able to do that in Brownsville. If he would have went to San Diego, if he would have went to Tucson, if he would have come out here to Eagle Pass, if he would have went to the trouble locations, um, he would have been able to get, get a little bit uh, more understanding and evaluate the situation to come up with it. So, again, there's lots to dissect and uh, work our way through there. But let's just be to the equal opportunity offense category. That's what I'm going to play today. Uh, I think uh, this is political on both sides. And I actually think Nikki Haley, who was here in town yesterday, got it right when she criticized both the current and the former president, uh, that they both have had opportunities to do things that would make a difference on the border. And neither did or has. And I think that's a legitimate conversation and legitimate criticism, not hyper-partisan. In fact, it's pretty equal opportunity offending, which we promote. So to me, the bigger question is, how do we have a different kind of conversation about it? Both sides have to deal with this. It's becoming a more important issue for the American people, but it's all about how we do it. And I remain convinced we could solve most of this in an afternoon on the floor of the House and the Senate because everybody agrees Everybody agrees we need to have a secure border. Everyone knows we need to have a better entry-exit system. Everyone knows that we need to have better processing for uh, those who are applying for asylum. We know we need to have more green card access and a better process there. You can go on down the list. There's a myriad of things that everybody agrees on that can be done, that should be done, that ought to be done, but is not getting done for pure politics. Because both sides have decided that they're better off with the political issue and the opportunity to score political points than they are to actually solve the problem and pass good policy. And that's the deal. It's really that simple. Uh, We talked uh, just a little bit ago, some new polling that was out from our friend Scott Rasmussen. And there is this sweet spot in the country and it's a, it's a real simple phrase, and 68% of Americans agree with it, that legal immigration is good for America, and illegal immigration is bad for America. 68% of the country believes that. Not many 68% uh, issues you can find these days, but immigration happens to be one of them. And when we finally get past the politics of it all, and we start to recognize that rule of law and compassion are compatible principles— There's no country anywhere that's more compassionate than the United States. We know how to do that. We know how to deal with that. And we're a nation of laws. And we know how to respect and uphold those. So it's not a a matter of skill power. It's a matter of political willpower and who will lead. And I'm watching all the screens in the newsroom right now, and they're all showing currently the current president standing at the border, talking to agents. Much will be said. Not much will be done. We'll watch the former president in just a few minutes from another place in Texas. The shot will look almost the same. In fact, the people might even be the same. The conversation will probably be the same. But then what's going to be reported out is how divided we are as a nation when it comes to immigration and the border. And so what you all need to think again about today is don't believe it. (laughs) The American people are actually very united on this. Rule of law 
and compassion are compatible principles. And when both sides are willing to lay down the political points and posturing and all the money they raise for their political campaigns on immigration and border security and sit down at the table and have a conversation on pure principles and pure policy, this issue of immigration and border security will be done because it will be solved. We can do this. We should do this. Who will lead and actually help us help us actually do it? That'll be the big question. We'll be right back. Think again on Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Get deeper insights on the news from Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It is great to be with you today. As always, I am Boyd Matheson. And of course, as we continue to cover everything happening leading up to Super Tuesday, uh, that includes all of us right here in the state of Utah. Everyone has an opportunity to stand up, speak out, vote uh, in a wide range of ways. And uh, so, really pleased to have joining us back on the program, Rob, Rob Axon, of course, is the chair of the Utah Republican Party. And uh, Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Boyd. Always good to be with you. All right. So as uh, we march towards Super Tuesday, uh, I think there are some people in the state who uh, may be a little confused in the difference between a caucus night, a Super Tuesday vote, and a presidential preference poll. Uh, So uh, give us some clarity there. Walk us through the process and uh, what people need to do, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Uh, We'll talk about some of the things you've been doing with your Democratic uh, colleague as well. Uh, but what are the things that people need to know as we march towards uh, March the 5th? Yeah, March the 5th is Super Tuesday. So a number of states nationwide, including Utah, are uh, expressing our preference as it pertains to uh, the different presidential nomination process. So the Democrats, they'll be having a primary. The Republican Party this year, uh, as we did back in 2016, and as the Democrats in Utah did back in 2016, we decided to do our nomination vote through caucus. Uh, Under state law, the parties get to decide which of those processes they decide, and and we we picked the caucus for a number of reasons. So the caucus will be happening on March 5th, uh, and that's where any Utah who is a registered Republican statewide can go to their local caucus, can participate. And this year, we actually have a very um, streamlined and available absentee process as well. So if somebody's help or work or other commitments prevent them from attending caucus in person, they can still participate and express their preference on who they would like the Republican nominee for president to be. All right. I think that's an important one because, uh, again, some people say, oh, well, I can't be around or I've got to work. Uh, some of us have to be in studio to cover the caucus and so won't be able to <laughs> attend the caucus. Uh, so tell people how they can go about that. Again, it have to be a registered Republican on the Republican side. Again, Democrats are having a primary uh, this time of, around. Uh, and so if you're a Republican, you're registered, but you can't show up for caucus night. Uh, what's the process for that? Here's the nice thing that we did this year is we streamlined it to be the same um, starting point. So that starting point is to go to our website, which is utgop.org. So utgop.org. 
you will see a pre-registration button. It's big and red right there on the homepage. You'll click that button and it will take you about 30 seconds to maybe a minute to fill out your information just to check, one, that you are a registered voter, two, that you're a Republican, and then you get to say you'll be participating in person or you'll be participating absentee. And whichever one of those you select, the confirmation email that you will receive will give you the instructions. So it will provide you with the address and location of your precinct caucus, or it will tell you how you can submit that absentee ballot. So in, in your case, Boyd, if, if you're prevented from attending and you otherwise wanted to, you would go through that same utgop.org, select absentee when doing the pre-registration. You'll get the confirmation email to tell you what to do. Okay, there you go. And that's uh, as simple as that. Uh, that's on the Republican side. I, I want to take just a, a second, Rob, because I think uh, some things that have been happening here in the state of Utah uh, between the Republican chair, state chair, and the Democratic state chair, uh, there's been a lot of good conversations over the last several cycles and several years, and you're continuing that tradition. Uh, give us some uh, perspective in terms of the conversations you're having with your counterpart. Yeah, uh, great question. It's actually one of the very first things that I did after being elected as the state chair last April is I reached out to the Democrat uh, chair, Diane Lewis. I, I found out they hadn't had their convention yet, so she wasn't reelected. So we put off our meeting for a couple of weeks until she was reelected. And then we had a number of phone calls and conversations starting clear back in May of last year throughout this year. And a couple of things that we've done in collaboration is we both selected March 5th as the day for caucus for both the Republican and the Democrat Party. And the reason that that was important to me, uh, first and foremost, is this belief that our state is better with more civic engagement across the spectrum. And so having it all on one day encourages all of us to get the word out about caucus. And then you as a voter get to decide what party you want to go in caucus with. But the Republicans, the Democrats, a couple of other uh, of the parties are all caucusing on March 5th. I think there's one or two parties that are, are doing a slightly different model uh, this go around. But for the most part, uh, March 5th is the date that you as a citizen get to step up and you get to decide how you want to participate. I would certainly encourage and welcome people that are Republicans to come and caucus with us. All right. And uh, again, I think that's a this is one of the things we always talk about. If you if you want different, you got to do different. You got to be different. You got to act different. And it all begins by showing up. Uh, and caucus night is the opportunity to do that, uh, as Rob Axon just described on the Republican side. Uh, all you have to do is go to their website, uh, utahgop.org, put in your utgop.org. Oh, I'm sorry, utgop.org. Thank you. Uh, utgop.org, and uh, make sure we get you to the right place. Uh, that you can just register there. If you're going to do it absentee, if you can't show up on the evening, you'll they'll walk you through the instructions there. It'll show you the location if you're going to be there on the night, and you'll be all set and ready to roll. Uh, and also, as Rob mentioned, uh, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, there are a few of the other smaller parties that are also caucusing uh, on the fifth. I agree. I think that's a great thing for all of us to do, regardless of political persuasion. I love it when everybody is showing up on the same day. Everyone's focused on that civic engagement and civic responsibility uh, to be part of the process. Uh, Rob, anything else we should be thinking about marching uh, marching towards uh, Super Tuesday? Yeah, I think the, the key thing to remember, especially for uh, the caucus uh, potential in any party, is in addition to the presidential, you have all of these other races happening in our state in 2024, from governor to members of Congress and the, an open Senate seat, certainly on the county level, the legislative level. Uh, those races all are impacted by county and state delegates who are elected at the caucus. So the presidential piece is important. Come for that. 
but stick around and participate in the rest of it too. That that lets you have a voice. And what we like to say in the, the Republican Party this year is show up, be heard. Let your voice be heard in the entire process affecting all these races, which impact every aspect of your life. Uh, I love that. And I'm so glad you pointed that out, Rob, uh, because uh, we do tend to get hyper-focused on the top of the ticket, the presidential candidates, but it really is the governor's race, the Senate race, the the House members races, the local uh, county council, city council, and on down that ticket, those are all going to be uh, influenced by who shows up on caucus night. Uh, and so that's where the rubber really hits the road, and that's where the focus needs to be. Rob Axon is the chair of the Utah Republican Party. And, uh, Rob, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Boyd. Have a great day. All right. Again, that's Rob Axon, uh, chairman of the Utah Republican Party. And again, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or or any of the other parties that are uh, officially registered here in the state of Utah, many of them are having their caucuses on the same night, on Super Tuesday, March the 5th. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you can go to uh, those websites and uh, make sure you're registered. You know what path you're following there so that you can actually show up, speak up, uh, and have your voice counted and your vote counted, uh, because that's the name of the game. And I, I love that Rob Axon pointed out for us uh, the fact that it's not just the top of the ticket stuff. It's easy to get uh, hyper-focused on the presidential race. We get that. Uh, but it's all that down-ballot stuff that's going to impact your world, your family, your neighborhood and community more than anything else. And so make sure you're there and part of that process. It is our civic duty, and uh, we hope you do it with a bit of civic charity as well. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for some bottom of the hour news, but don't go anywhere. More inside sources coming up next on KSL News Radio. Stick around. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. As we covered on the show yesterday and have been following throughout the day today, uh, longtime Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell is going to step down as in from his role in leadership after the November election. And as we look at his uh, legacy and what happens, of course, in politics, it's not about what is or what was. It's always about what's next. And what's next is already on the horizon in terms of who will succeed Mitch McConnell to lead the Republicans in the Senate. And uh, someone who's been taking a deep dive look at that, uh, Anthony Adrogna, uh, congressional reporter with Politico, was the lead author of Politico's Congressional Minutes. And uh, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, as we look at this, uh, of course, the uh, the legacy of Mitch McConnell uh, was uh, very uh, iron-fisted, uh, very strong, whether he was the minority leader, the majority leader, back to the minority leader, uh, and uh, no one could ever – you could question him on a lot of things. Uh, I incurred his wrath on a number of things when I was in Washington, uh, but I never had to question his commitment to the institution of the Senate uh, that was always uh, front and center in everything that he did. And uh, so now we have this really long window uh, in terms of some jockeying and some positioning in terms of uh, what is next uh, on the horizon for the Republicans. Uh, give us your sense. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's the perfect way to sum it up. We're looking at an, an eight month or so process at this point. Uh, folks are already jumping in, already making phone calls. Um, but Obviously, the field of those that may be looking to succeed, Senator McConnell, uh, is not set. 
Um, Senator Rick Scott, for example, today told me that he's expecting uh, a large number of folks to ultimately jump into the race. Mm. Um, I think, you know, everybody's focused on the quote unquote three Johns here, three um, senator Republican senators named John. But uh, I think we'd be uh, surprised if there weren't other folks that ultimately jumped in the race as well. Yeah. And, uh, and Senator Rick Scott is an interesting one in that he did challenge Mitch McConnell last time around for that leadership uh, role. And uh, so we'll we'll come back to him in a moment. But let's start with the three Johns. They're all interesting and they all have some unique perspective to them, I think, uh, in terms of their positioning for this. So uh, we, of course, have uh, the minority whip, John Thune, the former whip, John Cornyn, uh, and then the conference chair, uh, John Barrasso uh, from Wyoming. Uh, let's go. Let's go through each one of them in terms of maybe some pluses and minuses or some unique components, uh, <laughs> starting with John Thune, uh, Republican out of South Dakota. Well, look, I think Senator Thune is a, a well-known commodity, both, you know, the, among the press here on Capitol Hill, but also among his colleagues. Um, he's built strong bipartisan relationships. He's obviously been serving as the number two for McConnell um, for the last couple of years. Um, he has, you know, a depth of relationships here that I think would lead him to start out as sort of the prohibitive favorite. He's been critical of the former president at times, um, although he has endorsed him now. Um, so that's probably going to be a knock against him um, as this contest shapes up. Yeah, and I think that is interesting. And uh, in my time there, he was always the the one out of the leadership who at least had a little more of a communication strategy focus, uh, where uh, I think John Cornyn was uh, was more of just kind of a where do we find the right policy thing. Uh, and so talk to us about John Cornyn. Of course, he was uh, the minority whip for some time, and then they had a term limit component there with the Republicans. Uh, so what is it that uh, he brings back to the table uh, as he uh, tries to move back into that kind of position? Well, look, I, you know, I think he brings a lot of the same sort of political instincts that McConnell has brought to the position. Mm. He's served as the NR, head of the uh, NRSC a couple of times and, um, you know, is, is no uh, no stranger to sort of the partisan uh, bare knuckle brawls of trying to win back a majority I think that's probably going to be an asset for him. He's also known as somebody that can can get things done. He obviously helped play a major role in uh, compromised gun legislation that got passed last year. Um, so he, you know, he's able to sort of wear the partisan hat at times, but also enjoys um, kind of the ability to work across the aisle, something that uh, may or may not be an asset uh, as we go into this race. Yeah, for sure. And then finally, let's go to the uh, the doctor in the in the House or in the Senate, we should say, John <laughs> Barrasso from uh, Wyoming. Uh, definitely more under the radar than the other two, uh, but someone who is known uh, for having the conversations and uh, getting to the policy issues. Absolutely. And, you know, he's been a, a partisan sort of uh, a political messenger. Um, he's always on, on point with uh, his talking points. And, uh, you know, I think he's probably going to be viewed as the most conservative of the three Johns, if you will. Mm. Um, he's been a staunch supporter of President Trump, was one of the, the first members of Republican leadership this time around to endorse the former president. Um, so I think that's something that he's going to be uh, looking to argue. No question that Wyoming's looking to uh, punch above its weight in terms of uh, a state of that size. And uh, Senator Barrasso, no doubt, is going to be a, a very viable contender uh, as this process unfolds. For sure. We're a little biased out here, but we, we, we like uh, pulling the, uh, the the polar spaces a little more towards the west. So uh, sure. <laughs> even though there's not a lot of people in uh, Wyoming, uh, they, uh, they do count. And uh, I think he would actually have some interesting perspective to add 
uh, in that role. Give us some of the others, and you pointed out a few of these uh, in your piece, including a Rick Scott. Uh, any other that are kind of uh, bubbling up? I loved your reference, by the way, in your piece uh, with your colleagues at uh, Politico, uh, with Tim Scott, uh, just kind of giving the chuckle and uh, <laughs> saying this is going to get interesting. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think that's something we've heard from a lot of folks now is just sort of uh, wanting to let this process play out. And, you know, they understand that there's interest right now, given uh, Leader McConnell's announcement, but this is going to play out over the course of a number of months. You know, I think we'll look to people like uh, like Rick Scott to see whether they jump in. Um, my colleagues today reported that um, former President Trump has uh, and encourage Senator Steve Daines, who's obviously leading the NRSC right now, um, to jump into the race as well. And, you know, there are other names that have been floated as well, Tom Cotton, Marco Rubio. Uh, so I think we'll have to wait and see exactly what this field looks like. There's certainly the conventional sort of uh, three Johns, but I would be shocked if it doesn't uh, grow beyond that. And I think we are going to have to wait and see, you know, how the, the former president weighs in here. Obviously, this election is going to be a secret election, so uh, senators in some ways have a little bit of insulation from the former president's wrath, potentially. Um, But uh, I think there's no question that his um, input is going to weigh on the senators um, pretty heavily as they try to make this decision. Yeah, no question at all. Before I let you go, Anthony, I just wanted to get your perspective in terms of the timing of this uh, from Senator McConnell. It did catch a lot of people flat-footed. Some people have said, well, maybe he's – worried he wouldn't get to deliver that last speech uh, because of some of his health challenges. And so, you know, maybe it was important to do that. Uh, He's also obviously had uh, really no relationship with the former president uh, the last few years, uh, barely even referencing his name on occasion. Uh, Does that give uh, Mitch McConnell space to maybe be a little more critical of the former president, knowing uh, he's not going to be the leader uh, after that first Tuesday in November? Well, I, I think, as, as you probably know, uh, the uh, Leader McConnell tends to make news when Leader McConnell wants to make news and not before he's ready to make news. That's right. And uh, this is no different. Uh, you know, I think he's been, you know, certainly if not outwardly critical of the former president, as you say, he's not been uh, really speaking of him at all. And uh, so I wouldn't really expect his stewardship of the conference to change before the, the November elections. I think, you know, what is potentially different is, um, you know, uh, this is kind of a recognition, if you will, of sort of the Trump ascendancy um, as part of the Republican Party and that McConnell's breed of sort of Ronald Reagan-esque yeah. um, conservatism uh, is not necessarily in vogue anymore. And so, you know, how that how that fight plays out, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. The three Johns would definitely be more of the McConnell uh, vision of the party and we'll see if there's, you know, some insurgent that wants to come in and, and try to challenge that. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Great piece. Uh, Anthony Adragna, congressional reporter with Politico. A great piece there. You can check it out at Politico.com, the insider's guide to McConnell's succession race uh, with Anthony and a number of his colleagues there at Politico. Always appreciate that perspective. Uh, Anthony, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. uh, Great stuff there. This will be one we'll watch play out over the next eight months. It will be interesting to see the future of the Republicans in the Senate and moving through the presidential race and on into 2025. We'll step aside for a quick break. More Inside Sources coming up next. Hear elevated conversation on crucial issues. Boyd Matheson on Inside Sources. 
Well, I was debating how we should actually begin this uh, segment of the program. Uh, I had toyed with the idea of maybe going uh, with a little bit of Mary Poppins. I love to laugh. Uh, Or maybe something about just being completely unserious. The government shutdown showdown that everyone was just waiting with bated breath. Edge of our seats. Had the panic button ready to go. And guess what? You have to wait. So today... Uh, The House uh, passed by 320 to 99, a continuing resolution. Continuing resolution that uh, continues the government for a whopping seven more days. (laughs) It basically kicks everything down the road uh, just by a single week. So the first half of the government uh, will be funded by March the 8th, or we'll have a partial government shutdown. And the other will be kicked all the way down to March 22nd. And there you go. Here we are again. Groundhog Day all over again. This is how the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, framed this short-term extension of government funding earlier today uh, during the GOP House press conference. Take a listen. So, look, the appropriations process is is ugly. Democracy is ugly. Um, This is the way it works every year, always has, except that we've instituted some new innovations. We broke the omnibus fever, right? That's how Washington has been run for years. We're trying to turn the aircraft carrier back to real budgeting and spending reform. Uh, That's one way you could spin it. Uh, It's one I happen to disagree with the Speaker of the House, and I would disagree with the Democratic minority leader as well, uh, who basically said the same thing, that this is hard, this is complicated, this is how we've been doing it. Uh, None of that holds water for me, because this is one of the very, very, very few things that Congress is actually responsible for every single year. 12 appropriations bills, pass them in the House, pass them in the Senate, have the president sign them into law, and that funds the government. Not rocket science, not complex, not hard, uh, not difficult. Straightforward, but you have to do the job. Uh, You may have heard just a little earlier, uh, Representative Thomas Massey, a Republican from Kentucky, uh, very uh, libertarian uh, in uh, his persuasion, a guy who actually lives off the grid on solar panels uh, and a, uh, an electric vehicle. Uh, so he's very interesting that way. And he said, this is just nonsense. This is complete, uh, completely unserious. And he was calling out his Republican colleagues as well as his Democratic colleagues. Say, this is completely unserious. Everyone's been wringing their hands. All the cable news networks have been going wall to wall. Some of them have had countdown clocks of another shutdown showdown coming on Friday at midnight. And now we're going to do it again. We're going to do a continuing resolution. Uh, Thomas Massey said, this is completely unserious. He says, let me show you how unserious Congress actually is. Because everyone is saying, well, we need another week so we can have the debate and we can do the hard work and heavy lifting of legislating and governing and getting this done right. And they're all leaving town right now. The House is on their way out the door. They're gone. Jet fumes from Washington Reagan have wafted their way towards the United States Capitol and the members of Congress are coming running to catch their planes to head home. So, no, they're not working the weekend. No, they're not working through the night to get this done. They're kicking the can down the road. And so guess what? We're going to have the same conversation next week. 
And on Monday, we'll reset the countdown clocks. We'll re-image the new shutdown, showdown music and stagers on cable news networks. And we'll work our way through the week, and the same thing's going to happen again. And some people will say, but it's complicated. Oh, but this is difficult. No, you're already a year behind. They're, they're actually doing last year's work, in case you're keeping score at home. They should be having great debates today about the budget they have to get done and the appropriations bill they have to get passed before September the 30th of this year. That's what they should be working on. That's what they're supposed to be working on today. But you know what they're doing? They're working on last year's stuff just to keep things at the current levels. So this is not new stuff. This is all old stuff that they just didn't get done. They keep telling the teacher we didn't get our homework done. We need more time. And so don't for a nanosecond think this is serious because this is completely unserious. Uh, And it's time that we get serious. And as voters, we have to get serious uh, and hold people accountable. This is this is a no-brainer. This is not hard. This is not complicated. It's very straightforward. It's one of the very few jobs they have. And so don't give me a lot of excuses. Don't give me a lot of runaround stuff. This is straightforward. Do the job. Get the job done. We don't need another shutdown showdown. We don't need anything else. Just do the job. Just get it done. But I'm here to tell you, next week we'll have the same conversation and it will continue on through the March 22nd when the other half will drop and put your panic button away because don't worry, another continuing resolution is in your future and my future and the country's future because Congress isn't serious about doing one of the few jobs they actually have. Uh, And until we get to that, we're going to have trillion-dollar deficits in our spending every year. We're going to add to the $34 trillion that is already crushing the economy, causing inflation to skyrocket, and hurting the most vulnerable among us the most. So we got to get to a different kind of conversation, but just resetting the panic button and the shutdown-showdown button uh, is not going to solve the problem. we got to do better. All right, that wraps it up for hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We'll step aside for some top of the hour news, but don't go anywhere. We're going to kick off hour number two with Steve Rockwood and uh, talk about Roots Tech 2024. People, millions from around the world weighing in. We'll talk about it coming up next. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. From the KSL Common Spirit Health Studios. This is KSL News Radio. Utah's news, traffic, and weather station. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson. On Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio. One of the many great features of the great state of Utah is the statewide passion for family history. Nowhere is that passion more concentrated or on display than during the annual Roots Tech Conference that emanates uh, right here, downtown Salt Lake City's broadcast all around the world. Millions of people join this from all around the planet. It's an extraordinary thing. Whether you're there live or whether you're joining online, there's so many different things that are just uh, so fascinating and so we're going to take a deep dive look under the headlines, Roots Tech 2024. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. 
It is always a pleasure to have Steve Rockwood on the program. And, of course, today kicks off another amazing Roots Tech. Uh, it is the one of the most extraordinary things that I think we don't even appreciate that emanates from right here in Salt Lake City and uh, hits all points of the compass all around the world. And, uh, Steve, I know this is a busy, crazy day and a crazy weekend for you, but uh, welcome back to the show. And uh, here we go, Rootex 2024. Uh, thank you, boy. It's so good to be with you. I apologize in advance for the background noise, but it's really hopping down here. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. No, we love that. That's uh, that's real noise. We we like real <laughs> interviews. So, <laughs> well, give us uh, give us kind of the high level and an update. Uh, this this uh, event continues to expand globally. Uh, give us some sense of the reach and uh, what you're hoping people walk away with this year. You bet. I'll tell you, more than anything, we're just humbled. We just can't believe uh, what's happening with Roots Tech. It's just one more way that literally the world is gathering uh, and that Utah is the epicenter of this. As you know, uh, throughout our history, the state of Utah has really been considered the center of family history, and Roots Tech is one manifestation of that. This is the world's largest gathering of people who want to discover, gather, and connect their families, whether they're paid expert genealogists and technologists or just the curious that want to find out who they are, where they come from, and most importantly, from whom they come. And it's all happening right here at the Salt Palace. Uh, it, it is amazing, and, and it really is one more evidence. We always talk about it that uh, Utah's no longer the crossroads of the West. It's the crossroads of the world, and uh, yeah. I think Roots Tech manifests that probably better than anything out there. And uh, give us some sense this year. You, you have always been so powerful in showing how important it is that we connect to stories, and uh, how will that play out and be featured this year? Well, you know, story is the great equalizer, if you will. I mean, this is, a, this is I call it, all-star weekend for the wonderful genealogists, the archivists, the librarians, the societies that really fuel this whole industry. And there are thousands of them that come here to the Salt Palace and uh, tens of thousands that come to us online. But it's the broader audience. It's the people that actually benefit from the work of these people. And even if they don't start diving into it themselves. I don't even, I don't like to say, oh, the beginners. They don't have to be beginners. They just want to find out and connect to their family. And those are the millions that come. Mm -hmm. I just got a report right now. We've just launched and we already have over a million people who have joined us online in one way or another because this is a universal interest. People want to connect. They want to belong. They want to know who they are. And that's why we have this for them. Uh, it's it's so uh, amazing and so powerful. Uh, give us a little sense in terms of uh, some of those you're going to be featuring, some of the activities that will take place both there at the Salt Palace and online as we roll through the weekend. Well, you mentioned, so why is there power of story? And I mentioned that, that's, that it's the story that everyone gets involved. That That's what brings everyone to it. And so what you're going to see here, I think, are ways that stories will be able to get generated, preserved, and shared turbocharged. Mm-hmm. Now, we call this Roots Tech. People come and they want to, to learn about the latest methodologies, the latest breakthroughs of DNA, of genetics, of, of record keeping, of tree building and that. But the tech side is the, is the great enabler. And about seven or eight years ago at Roots Tech, it was, it was, a, it was a very unique uh, conference because DNA really came to bear. I think you're going to feel the exact same thing this year when it comes to generative AI. 
Generative AI is the way that you're going to storyize all these names, dates, and places in ways that we've never thought possible before. Wow. Wow. My head's spinning on that one, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) As is mine. As are our wheels are spinning because this is happening so fast. And the nice thing about this industry, too, when all these breakthroughs come, this industry finds a way to use them responsibly. It Mm. finds a way to use them to create life. As you know, you've been part of the incredible headlines just in the last year with generative AI. Appropriately, there's been concerns about responsible yeah. use of that, of the risk and concern. Well, here at RootStack, you're going to see amazing, good use of it, responsible mm-hmm. use of it, how it will connect people, how it will create light. And I can't wait to see it. People keep asking me, well, what are we going to see? And quite honestly, I can't answer that. I'll answer, I'll answer really well three days from now because I'm just as curious as everyone else. Oh, that is fantastic. I can't uh, can't wait to see that all play out. We're going to stay covered on that uh, throughout the weekend and into next week because these stories are – this is really uh, – many people look at this as a big event, as kind of a big end, but it's really just a big beginning uh, of yeah. what comes next for so many people. What's the one thing – uh, that you really hope that people come away from this year's Roots Tech maybe thinking different or doing different as it relates to, to family, to family search, and to these amazing interconnected stories that we have as fellow travelers here on planet Earth? That's an easy one. First and foremost, I just invite everyone to come and see this. Mm. Come and experience it. If you're here within a radius, come to Salt Lake City. There's still time to register if you want to go to all the classes and that to the, and the main stage. But if not, come and see the Expo Hall. It's free. you got to come if you're within the, if, within the distance. Come and feel it. What we really want is we'll, for people to say, what I love when people come to Rootstech and they're walking out the door, I love to hear, I had no idea. That's what they say. I had no idea. And it's not just what they learned intellectually. It's because of the connections. It's the feelings that they have of, Mm. wow, my family matters. My story matters. I matter. And now I know how a way way to to capture that. That's what I want people to feel, and especially those that are not in the space. And if you don't live within the radius that you can get here, then log on online, and we are broadcasting as much as we can. To you so you can have that same spirit, uh, that same feeling in the comfort of your own home with your with your house slippers on. Yeah, love that. And uh, we love that uh, whole idea of I had no idea. We try to do that every day yeah. on the show. And uh, you do it in such a powerful way and help people seeing the interconnectedness. It, it just breaks down so many of the barriers and so many things that we think are problems in the world really aren't when you realize how interconnected we really are. Uh, Steve Rockwood is the president and CEO of Family Search International, global nonprofit sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, it is an amazing, extraordinary event. It, you will walk away with the I had no idea moment, radical curiosity and amazement. Uh, that's the name of the game. Steve, a very busy day. We're going to keep following this through the weekend. Thanks for carving out some time for us and good luck uh, with Root, Roots Tech 2024. Thank you, boy. You're the best. Appreciate it. And just as an additional reminder, for the second year in a row, Rootstech is hosting an after party for young adults ages 18 to 30 at the Salt Palace Convention Center on Friday, March the 1st, 7 to 11.30 p.m. You can go register for that at Rootstech.org. They'll have speakers, food vendors, live music, dancing, uh, all the things. The after party at Rootstech, if you're a young adult age 18 to 30, check that out at Rootstech.org. We'll be right back with more Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. 
Think again on Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We're staying with the conversation just a little bit longer today when it comes to the border and immigration. Of course, we're watching on all of the screens from the cable news networks. We have dueling things going on with the current president, the former president, down at different places along the border. And after all will be said and done today, much more will be said than will ever be done. And none of it, I think, will actually move us closer to the kinds of solutions and the kinds of conversations that we need to have as it relates to all of these things. Uh, So we talked about uh, green cards in the last segment. We've talked about uh, some of the important elements to all of this in terms of having rule of law and compassion being compatible principles, which they are. Uh, And so many of these things that uh, could be solved, I think, in an afternoon on the floor of the House and the Senate because everybody agrees. uh, But many are far too focused on the politics and the wedge issue of it rather than getting to the principle and the policy pieces that could actually solve the problem. Uh, fascinating piece in the New York Times today uh, that I think is part of the right kind of conversation we need to be having. And it's the fact that immigrants are crucial to the economy. And we're doing it and going about it in all the wrong ways and looking at all the wrong places. Uh, Lydia DePillis is a, a writer for uh, the New York Times, a reporter for the New York Times. She covers the American economy with an emphasis on how American workers and businesses are affected by public policy. And uh, Lydia joins us on the line. Lydia, welcome to Inside Sources. Good to be here. Uh, Great piece today. And thank you for getting us towards a conversation that matters when it comes to immigration. Uh, Talk to us about this in terms of the economic dividend of immigration uh, and some of the legal and some of the logistical hurdles you pointed out in your piece today. That's right. You know, I don't think anyone would really argue that immigrants have been so important to the American economy for centuries. Obviously, that's how most of our ancestors got here. Um, The question that has been about what happens when a lot of immigrants come very quickly uh, into a few places, right? And and that is really what is causing the difficulty and the consternation Mm. these days. And, you know, it's always been hard to absorb people quickly when they come in a sort of concentrated fashion in a short period of time. So I don't think we should think of this as like totally unprecedented. Um, But I I think that the general precept that immigration is healthy for the U.S. economy um, is complicated when you have uh, a, a legal situation that makes it difficult for people to have any kind of predictability, mm. uh, for them to migrate where the job demands are highest, uh, to ha- and uh, to get the kinds of training and support that they need to be successful and really contribute uh, to their greatest abilities. Yeah, and I think that's such a, an important thing. And uh, you point this out in the piece that I just loved, uh, the fact that uh, that immigrants coming in have re-energized shrinking towns, struggling cities. Uh, before we talked about in our last segment, how in the Declaration of Independence, way before they got to taxation without representation, they wanted more immigration to be able to happen, and uh, we still need that today. Yeah, you know, it was fascinating, and I couldn't get into all of this in the piece, but a lot of cities have set up what are sort of called welcoming organizations, especially the sort of post-industrial places that had been shrinking for a long time. 
I'm, I went to an organization in Philadelphia, but also in the Detroit area. That has been a mm. very intentional, long-term effort to try to reverse population decline in, in, in that area of Michigan. And super successful, right? Like lots of, especially refugee communities, um, have created, you know, whole towns that are, that are vibrant places and bring a lot of diversity and excitement to, to those parts of the country. And it's also true in upstate New York, right? There's been refugee resettlement operations in places like Utica and Rochester. So you have Hmong people and Somalian people. And, um, and refugees, of course, come with a lot of support. They get work training, housing assistance, and it doesn't help them forever. Uh, and, and a lot of it, you know, they have to get on their feet quickly. But um, the folks who are coming in generally from places like West Africa now, um, Nicaragua, Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, they're entitled to none of that, right? And so unless they have family connections or their own wealth, which is not that common, they have very few resources. And that's why at the moment uh, cities like New York, Chicago, Denver – um, are having to spend so much of their budgets, which is, you know, honestly, certainly concerning. Like nobody's nobody's minimizing that. Yeah, no question about that. And uh, one of the things that I, that you also pointed out in your piece uh, is one just the uh, the likelihood of immigrants working. So that work rate, I think, is a is a very fascinating number. Uh, and then the fact that that we're finally getting to the point where we're getting some of those authorizations moving through. They were at such low levels for so long. Uh, but that's starting to, to pick up. Tell us the impact of that and what the projections are for that moving forward. That's right. So um, immigrants have always participated in the labor force at a higher rate than native-born workers. In part, that's because they're younger They uh, and have, tend to have more children. And so that is just sort of a natural demographic thing. Um, and the, the work permit situation was really difficult because a lot of these big city mayors were saying, listen, we can't support these people forever, but according to immigration law, a law that went into effect in 1996, those seeking asylum could not even get their work permit until six months after they filed their application, which is an easy seat on its own. And then those applications were taking, you know, the better part of a year to finish a couple of years ago and complete and turn around. So um, the Biden administration really got on top of that, uh, in part because of a court order, actually. And so they've been processing these at the rate of, you know, tens of thousands a month. Mm. There were, it was up to 1.2 million work permits for this, like, set of folks coming in um, for humanitarian reasons. So, so that's a lot of on the workforce if those people can actually um, get to work and find jobs. And, you know, as I just said, I was looking at Utah's unemployment rate, I'm sure you know, boy, it's among the lowest in the country. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of employers who can't find the people they need. And, um, and so if more of those folks could find their way to Salt Lake City or other cities, uh, so they would be put to use pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great piece. Uh, Lydia DePillis, a reporter for the New York Times. Uh, there is a dividend uh, to all of this uh, when we start looking at uh, those coming to the country, not as liabilities to be managed, but as human assets, fellow travelers, immense potential to make a difference in our communities. And there's a way to do that. Lydia, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure thing. All right, we'll be right back. Final thoughts on Inside Sources coming up next. Hear 
elevated conversation on crucial issues. Boyd Matheson on Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. As always, I am Boyd Matheson. And uh, if you just join us, we've been uh, spending the last couple of segments of the show talking about various aspects of border security and immigration. I had some uh, great conversations. Uh, Lydia DePillis, of course, from the New York Times, was just with us talking about some of the the benefits that come and and how some of those immigrants coming across, if we do it properly, uh, could actually pay a great dividend, especially in some of our cities that are struggling. Uh, Utah, of course, has been a model to the country as it relates to dealing with refugees and helping them become part of community, getting jobs, uh, starting to add value and to become valued members of our communities. Uh, So we're going to continue to watch all of that. Of course, the big headline of the day has been around the dueling visits to the border by the current president and the former president. We've been breaking down uh, both of those visits as they uh, are partly political, part policy. Currently, the current president of the United States, Joe Biden, is in Brownsville, Texas, and is giving a press conference there. Let's just dip in for a minute to see uh, how the president is framing his visit to the border. Work for the American people. Let me end with this. I understand my predecessor's legal past today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me or I'll join you and telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's remember who the heck we work for. We work for the American people, not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We work for the American people. And let's remember who we are. We're the United States of America. No, I mean this. Think about this. There's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity, nothing when we work together. And if all things we should be working together on is this, we have the formula to get it done. God bless you all. May God protect our border patrol. That's President Joe Biden in Brownsville, Texas today, closing out his remarks with a call to his rival, the former president, Donald Trump, both at border uh, cities and communities today. And President Biden saying, let's come together on this, uh, calling uh, for the foreign president to join him. He said, or I will join you and let's get it some serious legislation done. Now, there's a lot underneath all of that. And we'll continue to break all of that down as we go through the afternoon here on KSL News Radio. We'll break it down tomorrow uh, in terms of the policy pieces to all of this that often get lost in the political posturing of it all. And I will be very honest, I actually think Nikki Haley got it right. Both of these visits to the border uh, are very political. Uh, Both the presidents share some of the responsibility in terms of what's happening at the border. Uh, Neither of them have been able to pass legislation. Neither of them have been able to move forward in significant ways to actually change the dynamic at the border. Uh, And so there are some very simple policy things that we need to get to that we can get to. And I maintain that most of the Congress believes in and wants to get done, except for the fact that they fear the politics. Now, I agree with President Biden's statement at the end that we shouldn't have people just calling from the sidelines, don't do this, don't do this, it's bad politically. We should have people stepping to the front and saying, here's a policy, there's a policy, let's get this policy together and let's get this done 
that's very different. Uh, we get what you're against. We get the positioning as it relates to the politics and presidential elections. I get it. Uh, and yet, uh, I think President Biden got it right today. We should all remember who they work for. They work for the American people. They don't work for the Democratic Party. They don't work for the Republican Party. They don't work for President Biden. They don't work for former President Trump. Members of Congress work for the American people, and they should remember that and get to it because I think there's a very easy path to get it all done. It's not a a matter of whether or not they can do it. It's not even a matter of whether or not they agree on it. The issue is do they have the political courage to actually do it? That's the biggest test, and that's the biggest fear. And we've seen that play out on both sides. Both sides have played the game. Both sides have drugged their feet uh, on the issue when it was to their political advantage. Both sides have tried to push things forward when it was to their political advantage. Uh, The important thing is that we actually get to the policy advantage uh, that will make a difference uh, and uh, help us solve the issue once and for all and get it straight. Uh, And there's always going to be immigration to this country. It's part of who we are. It's part of what the nation has made the nation great. Uh, There are a great need, and we just need to get it right. It's that simple. And so we have to get to the simple solution. Don't let them convince you that it's too complicated or complex. All right, I want to round out uh, the day today. Uh, we had a great conversation at 2.05 today with Steve Rockwood. Uh, Roots Tech, of course, kicked off at the Salt Palace Convention Center today. It is a massive event. If you haven't been over there, you should go check it out. There's a, a lot of that that is free and open displays to the public. You can just wander through. It's a wow moment in there for sure. You can still register to attend uh, some of those classes and training uh, uh, either there live at the Salt Palace or you can do it online virtually as well. And there are so many things. They're not just for historians, not just for those in genealogical research and so on. Uh, There are so many important things, especially when it comes to story. Uh, One of the things that really struck me as they kicked off Roots Tech this year, and and this thing is a global thing. So we spoke to... uh, uh, to Steve Rockwood earlier, and they had already had over a million people online joining in the conversation, being part of those trainings and uh, all the events there with Roots Tech. But one of the ways they've kicked it off and one of the main themes driving this year uh, is that your story is worth remembering. And everybody has a story. Everybody has a story, and everybody wants to be part of a story. Story drives so much of our behavior. It drives the brand name clothes that we wear, the cars that we drive, the groups and associations that we're part of. It's that sense of belonging, that sense of the interconnectedness of it all uh, that gives meaning to what we do and makes all the things we go through in life actually matter in the end. Uh, And sometimes it's easy to discount and say, "Ah, nobody would be interested in my story or nothing special, nothing important about me. Uh, but you'd be surprised. They they had a, a great video. You should go check this out online as well, uh, that your story is worth remembering. Go watch that for seven minutes. It'll make your day today. And it will get you thinking about your own story, or it might get you thinking about your parents' story, your grandparents' story. It might get you thinking about what are the things that you hope to pass on to your grandchildren and beyond, the things that actually do matter. And I love it when we get to that, because when you start thinking about that, You're not thinking about titles. You're not thinking about positions. You're not thinking about grand achievements. You're thinking about a set of principles that drive who you are and that you display every day in a multitude of ways 
that simply makes a difference. Never underestimate the power of your story. And again, be part of that great conversation, Roots Tech 2024 underway, emanating from here in the state of Utah and Salt Lake City, goes all around the world. It is a phenomenon. Uh, check that out today as well. That wraps it up for Inside Sources today. I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for joining us. And as always, as you go out into the world, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. From the KSL Common Spirit Health Studios, this is KSL News Radio. Utah's news, traffic, and weather station.